What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Modern Markets Podcast, brought to you by FOMOHUD, where we discuss topics ranging from world banking to decentralized platforms. So sit back and enjoy, because you're going to learn today. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Modern Markets Podcast, presented by FOMOHUNT, brought to you by Cal Toro and your host, Titan Inc. And now the summary for today's episode. On today's episode, we have Bradley Cam from Unstoppable Domains, where he's going to talk about the decentralized web and how it can serve the people and give back the opportunity to filter the internet without being censored. Also, please forgive me, my mic did not engage during this recording, so unfortunately, this is the audio from my webcam recording, so please bear with me on this one. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast. I'm here with Bradley Cam from Unstoppable Domains. He is one of the co-founders and head of biz dev at Unstoppable Domains. And uh, if you would, Bradley, just go ahead and introduce yourself. You know, what has your journey with Unstoppable Domains been like? And, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself. For sure. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so my background, I'm uh, from Atlanta, started uh, in the uh, real estate field. So I was uh, starting companies during the last recession, actually. And somewhere around 2012, I realized that I was in the wrong game. The market was too small and too manual, and I needed to uh, get into software. So I decided to move to San Francisco and started working on a company called Talkable, which is a Y Combinator-backed marketing software company, selling e-commerce companies. Uh, But when I moved to San Francisco, I moved into this house called 20 Mission, been profiled in a bunch of newspapers and referred to as a house that Bitcoin built. And so the second Bitcoin exchange was in the US was launched in our basement. Vitalik gave talks in our courtyard before Ethereum launched and pretty much everybody in the building was a Bitcoin hacker. So I moved to San Francisco to work on a to work on a marketing software company and was immediately introduced to crypto. Relatively soon after that, fell down the rabbit hole. This is like early 2013 and um, started thinking about it, playing around with it working on stuff and kind of knew that I would eventually be doing something in crypto, but it took until uh, 2018 to actually me to actually fully get to the game. Awesome. By the way, I actually live in Atlanta. So funny that. Oh, yeah. Awesome. First of all, what is Unstoppable Domains and what benefits could people find from using the service? Sure. So Unstoppable Domains is a domain registry business. So think of it similar to uh, a .com. So VeriSign, company owns .com. Uh, we build our own domain name extensions. So one is called .crypto and another is called .zil. Uh, the difference is that our domains are not part of the traditional DNS system. Uh, domains are ERC-721 tokens. They're NFTs. They're stored inside of your wallet. And this is very different than a traditional domain because a traditional domain has a custodian as a requirement. You have to store your domain with GoDaddy or some other registrar. Uh, a blockchain domain, you just store inside of your wallet. And because of that, it means that you're the only one who can move it around. You're the only one who can update it, which means that you're the only one that can put up a website. You're the only one that can take down a website. Very different than the way that the traditional DNS and the traditional internet works. Right. And then I was actually doing some research. And so the main database is ICANN, I-C-A-N-N. So that's like the, the international database that everybody has to join to be a part uh, to, to have your obviously your domain uh, registered so this is obviously like a decentralized off the the ICANN database solution yeah so ICANN is like the uh, the the international nonprofit that manages the current namespace and so you've got DNS servers and you know if you're going and looking up a website you know inside of a browser you're going to be you know hitting the the traditional DNS servers which are essentially you know centralized they have they have people who can control them 
Right. Now, and there's another uh, term, uh, decentralized web. Did you guys actually create that term or has that been around? That's been floating around for a little while. Uh, we've embraced that term. We think it's the simplest uh, description, decentralized websites, uh, to distinguish between regular websites. And what makes a decentralized website is a blockchain domain, which is, as we've discussed, a domain which is you know, stored inside of your, your cryptocurrency wallet, but also your website stored on a decentralized storage network like IPFS. And a traditional website would be stored on Amazon Web Services or another company right. like that. And so when you move it to a network like IPFS, you have dozens, hundreds, thousands of different people all storing the same copy of your website. And so if any one of them turns it off, goes down, whatever, uh, your website doesn't go down. Okay, that was actually going to be one of my questions. So IPFS is one of these the decentralized storage solutions that you guys would inter interact with? Yeah. And, and IPFS is the furthest along in the sense that they have a lot of developers, there's a lot of great tools, uh, but there are other networks out there. And from our perspective, we're, you know, we're sort of network agnostic. It's really about uh, what works best for users. But ultimately what the user wants is the user wants to have a domain name they control and they want to have content that is redundant, that has hundreds or thousands of different people all storing and serving up the same stuff. That way you can't just get turned off. Exactly. And that's, that's honestly, it's, it's super important, especially now. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of the, the censorship that's taking place, not only with, you know, YouTube, social media, whatnot. Um, but could you like, I guess, could you point to an example of maybe some censorship that's ever occurred or is occurring with some sites um, these days? Yeah. And I think the best way to think about this in general, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when we you know, talk to people about this, you know, this concept and internet censorship, and we talk to folks in America and they're like, is censorship really a problem? You know, is it really that bad? And then you talk to folks pretty much anywhere else on the planet and they're like, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a domain name taken away from me last year or something That's like that. Wild. Yeah, so it, it really does depend on on where you are in the world, but that also, that also speaks to the fundamental problem here. So a couple of interesting cases that I think are you know, good for people to keep in mind. So there is a, during the Catalonian independence movement a couple of years ago, uh, there's a registry called .cat that was being uh, run in Catalonia and being used by the independence movement uh, to launch websites, you know, organizing people, running boats, all kinds of stuff. And so the Spanish government raided the registry and took the entire registry down, uh, put the CTO on trial for sedition, and I believe he's still on trial. And this was for what we would consider to be uh, free speech, political organizing in a Western democracy. And uh, this happened not so long ago. There was a change of political control in Libya, uh, where an Islamist government came in. Uh, they have you know new moral laws that they created. And if you've probably seen people on the internet use .ly, you know, because they think it looks cool. Well, that's that's for Libya. So the new Libyan government started taking down porn websites. And 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 it, the thing is, is that there's like a universal jurisdiction here because the registry is licensed by a specific government. And then that government can uh, get the registry to take down websites that are anywhere in the world. So you could be a Canadian porn company using a .ly and go down. You, you could be a German company with a .com and have the US government take you down. So it's it, because of the way all of this works, it creates this like global mechanism for various governments to be able to censor things. So that's just on the domain side. On the website hosting side, the Turkish government not so long ago passed a law uh, that's, that banned 150 terms from being used on any hosting service. If any hosting service hosts a website with any of these terms, uh, they're breaking the law. 
and one of those terms was gay, and another one of those terms was naked. So they were essentially enforcing a, a moral conservatism on not just the Turkish population, but on anybody that wanted to use uh, tools from companies that were based in that country. So this current system, and those are just, those are, those are some extreme examples. There are some places in the world where you can't even get started. Like, you know, so the Turkish government says there, there's 150 words that you can't, you know, you can't put up. If you were to try to launch something in Russia or in China, uh, you would have even more restrictions at the front end before you can even do anything. So tools are making decisions about what's okay and what's not okay to say all the time. Uh, and they should we don't need our tools to do that. Agreed. I, well, I'm, I'm deep into decentralized solutions, but I, I had no idea about all these occurrences. But that's that's quite interesting. Uh, so, so .coms are actually like a, like a registrant of the U.S. Specifically? So the way it works is, and this is kind of convoluted, but there are registrars like GoDaddy, uh, and they are your custodians, and they are subject to uh, you know whatever laws from the country that they're in, and you know they can receive subpoenas and whatever, and be asked to take down a do- you know take away a domain, take down a website. But the registry itself can also do that. And so what happens is the registry, for example, .com is owned by American company Verisign, which means that the U.S. government has a lever through Verisign through .com to essentially take down any website in the world that uses a .com and .com is the premier extension. So that gives them a lot of power. They can essentially decide, uh, they can, inf- they, they have an enforcement mechanism across the entire world, which they don't have on things that are not the internet. Right. Wow. That's, that's super interesting. And if, if you're allowed to tell us, um, or if you know this information, where do you think most of your, um, your services are being provided to like, you know, country-wise. Yeah, so it's actually mostly, it's it's mostly US right now, but that's probably more a function of uh, where our business relationships are. So, you know, we're relatively early on in this journey. We were founded in January of 2018. The company is, you know, based in San Francisco. We built up our network through kind of more, you know, traditional startup uh, startup methods. We went through Boost VC, which is based in uh, Silicon Valley. We raised uh, money from Draper Associates, from Tim Draper. Many of our partners are based in the US. So that's kind of where our marketing has been focused. But right now, what I would say, you know, the, the way to kind of describe where it's at, and I can talk about where it's at more more broadly, but we've had about 220,000 uh, domains registered so far. Uh, we've been going for about a year, a little over a year uh, selling domains. Uh, we've got just under 2,000 websites that have launched, uh, but websites just became easy to launch. So we started building tools where you can, with you know, non-technical users, can easily launch something on IPFS. Uh, we just went live with Opera Browser. So Opera Browser for Android, you can type in a .crypto domain just like you would a .com and you can uh, view that website. This is the first time we're aware of that any major browser has supported a non-DNS uh, domain name system, but it's all very early. So we're kind of in the um, experimental uh, crypto phase. So the way we think this is going to go is that the crypto community is going to adopt first because they understand these tools, they need these tools. Like if you're a DAP and you don't have a decentralized website, are you really fully censorship resistant? You have these points of failure that are still there. And so we're starting to see a lot of DAPs for this reason uh, launch decentralized websites. So we've got my Ether wallet has myetherwallet.crypto. Kyber Network has their exchange widget, kyber.crypto. So we're starting to see dApps take this seriously, and we think that's probably phase one. Phase two might be the kind of international activists and solving these kind of deeper uh, free speech issues that we've been talking about earlier. I would say those people have not really gotten into the game yet, and they probably shouldn't because the tech is still very early and hard to use. It's going to be the crypto-native people that help us figure it all out. What are the obstacles like... uh 
to, to getting onto other browsers? I mean, you mentioned Opera, but what are the obstacles to getting on like, you know, Google or Brave, for example? I mean, I know Brave is just a, you know, a version of Chromium, but could you go into depth on that? Yeah, it's really, you know, I think for, for partnerships, and this has been a really big focus for us. So for us, we are integrating with wallets, we're integrating with uh, browsers, we're integrating with search engines, and applications just want to know that there's users. Like, so there's no philosophical challenge for browsers to support this sort of stuff. It's really just like, is it worth my time for my engineer to go and figure this out? And is, and is it secure, of course, would be another question. But broadly speaking, there's no philosophical issues. It's just, you know, show me users and I'll, I'll, I'll let you in. And so that's really been, that's really been our task, which is, and this idea of a decentralized internet and domains on blockchains has been floating around the crypto world, I would say, all the way back since 2013. There was an attempt with Namecoin, which was a fork of Bitcoin. And, and and I think all along the problem has been UX, just like just like in general with crypto. It's just really, really hard to do this stuff. And so that was the problem that we set out to solve as a company was we know the decentralized internet is critical for free speech around the world. We know everybody already agrees that it's good. Why isn't it here? Because it's hard. So we should be focusing on the user experience. And that means make it easy to get a domain make it easy to launch a website, make it easy to view a website, make it easy to find a website, make it easy to pay to a website, make all of the features that you would want for a decentralized web easy to use. And if we do that, then then yeah, people are going to switch. Exactly. And I was, I was going through the site and uh, it's very clean, very straightforward. Uh, and so obviously you guys have definitely put a lot of time into your UX. So another question, are there any downsides to decentralized web? So I think the thing that people think of the most when they think of a censorship resistant internet is what happens to all the bad stuff that can't be taken down. And I think this is a, this is an important question. And the way that we see it, well, first of all, the majority of people uh, aren't going to do bad stuff. The majority of people use tools for good because the majority of people are trying to do good. And so it's always a minority and it happens for every technology, including cash and everything else. But ultimately, I think the internet is going to become a easier place to filter if we were to switch to a censorship resistant internet because uh, on the base layer you have uh, this you have this assurance that nothing can go down. So you have this trust, you have this permissionlessness, you have this robust, you have a new model of security that is almost impenetrable. And then on the second layer, you can always as an application decide what's okay and what's not. And so a browser can say, hey, this website is associated with a phishing scam. I'm not going to show it to you. Or I'm going to show you a warning and say, watch out, or any number of other solutions. And so what's going to wind up happening is, is that my browser can act as a filter for me, and I'm still going to wind up getting, I'm not going to have to see all of the terrible, horrible things that happen in the deep, dark depths of the internet right now that I don't want to see. I'm not going to get flooded with those in this new world. But at the same time, if there's something that really does need to come out, come up to the surface that people really do need to see, it's going to be able to break through. And no group, individual, government or whatever is going to be able to stop that. So it's basically if, if, if society really wants something to be heard, it's going to be heard in this new in this new world. So it, it's a complicated process for it all to for it all to kind of play out. But it's a far more secure and safe world. And what I think is going to wind up happening is applications are going to be able to easily share lists of warning and bad websites. Like right now, YouTube and Facebook supposedly filter content, and we don't know how. 
All we know is that they, you know, the employees that have to do it are, you know, essentially tortured, but we don't know what the criteria are and they don't share with each other. These applications can read from a, a list that determines where the line is for free speech. Like what if the ACLU was the determiner of what was okay? And then applications were reading that. And then people decided that the ACLU wasn't moral enough or had a wrong view of free speech and they could read from some other filter. But that's almost more like a, where the line for free speech is, is, is more of like an ethical question than it is some sort of like a process. And, and so we can take this ethical question and then we can actually address it head on. Whereas right now we don't get to do that. YouTube decides whether or not a, you know, a, a crypto YouTuber has gone too far or not. And they've been taking down a lot of people lately. So I, you know, I, I question, I question their criteria and I'm worried about the power that they have. I, I totally agree with you. And we were talking earlier, I mean, there's, there's so much censorship taking place right now, especially, you know, surrounding coronavirus and the who is giving guidelines to, to YouTube about what can and cannot be said. And I feel like with decentralized web applications, it kind of puts the power back in the hands of the people again that's the whole point of decentralized solutions in general just to start allowing the people to police the content and uh, and decide the filters for themselves because like you said earlier i mean you know i would say most people are inherently good so if most people are inherently good and there's a very small minority of people that are bad we can assume that the good people are going to filter the content themselves and you don't need to rely on like google or facebook to do that for you i like that and i think one of the most important things to keep in mind is that this argument about bad behavior is a red herring it is being used to maintain the power of people who want backdoors into technology. The way that they're trying to push uh, against encryption in the United States is by saying that if you don't allow us to listen in on every one of your messages, child exploitation is gonna run rampant. And that is a red herring. That is an extremely dangerous argument to say that because 0.01% of people are gonna do something wrong, therefore some group should have complete control over it. I can assure you a far larger percentage of people are using cash for bad reasons. Yes, and and much more cash. <laughs> I 100% agree. We we would get along. <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree on that. You mentioned a couple of websites earlier. Are there any like majorly popular websites? I guess uh, my Ether Wallet's one, but um, any other websites that are using decentralized web solutions right now? You know, I mean, it's really it's again. I think it's really in this sort of experimental phase. We're seeing applications uh, pretty much, you know, almost exclusively dApps right now, uh, launching websites. The other category that we're starting to see are content creators, podcasts and YouTube videos and things like that. We've had several folks launch YouTube videos on their own decentralized website uh, that had been taken down by YouTube. So very specifically saying like, hey, this video was taken down by YouTube. I'm going to put it up on the decentralized web as a backup or as a statement. So we're starting to see those. And I would, so I would say like crypto video and podcasters plus crypto dApps are really the area where we're seeing the most action other than uh, kind of enthusiasts. You know, we've got, you know, I think I mentioned there's a couple thousand websites up right now. Most of those that are on .crypto are enthusiasts that are experimenting with the tech, building new features, uh, playing around. So I would expect that this stuff was really literally released, I would say within the past you know, two months, something like that. So all of this is really new. I think if you were to you know check back towards the end of the year, you're going to start seeing some applications with um, you know with decent sized traffic. And one of the other things that's still missing, and you know I mean this is the problem with you know decentralized web is that you have to kind of recreate the entire internet, uh, is that we still don't have a functioning search engine yet. And so if you think about like what was the thing before the search engine, you really need to remember 
uh, or have someone tell you, hey, like there's this really cool website and you gotta type it in just right, you know? The moment you have a search engine, you're just gonna be like, well, you know, let me see what crypto websites are out there. Let me see what decentralized websites are out there and you're gonna be able to find them much easier. So I, I think that's uh, that's a missing piece and I expect that we'll see some, you know, we'll see some exciting stuff there, you know, pretty soon. Yeah, and, and wasn't um, wasn't Elastos working on a, on a some type of decentralized search engine? I, I could be wrong, but uh, I believe there was so, some companies that were trying to create some type of decentralized search engine. Have you guys found any luck with any companies trying to do that? Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of exciting stuff happening on the search side. Nothing that we're quite ready to announce yet, but there's a bunch of projects that are going simultaneously. So there's there's more than more than one thing in the in the search space that we're excited about right now. And then um, we, we kind of briefly talked about it, but you know, what what would be the ideal scenario if every website was decentralized? Obviously it's gonna take some time to do that, but I guess what would that scenario look like? So we're going to need to, you know, the first step is going to be, I think, more novel applications. So things that you can't do on the traditional world. And one of the biggest things that you can't do in the traditional world is payment stuff. It's yes. so easy with a decentralized website because it's crypto native to do all kinds of new payments. You can have, you can charge 25 cents for a video that you've shown, whereas that would be impossible with a credit card system. Uh, so we're expecting that things that involve, you know, just kind of money moving around easier, faster, better than it could before is going to be what we're going to see first. And that's the reason why I keep focusing on the, the crypto dApps. That's, so that's sort of like phase one. I think phase two is going to be more the activists and media and content, people that can't publish online right now and will be able to. And that's going to have a dramatic impact on the world when that happens, because right now it's very easy to censor those people. Uh, pretty soon it's going to be extremely hard to censor those people. Uh, one of the cases that we thought of is that you, you could actually have this kind of media website martyrdom move where you could launch a website and you could throw away the keys so no one can take it down. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> that's going to be a crazy moment in time when there's a controversial website out there and literally no one can take it down no matter what happens. That's awesome. So that's going to be crazy. And then kind of like longer term, what's going to happen is applications and websites and businesses are going to change because these tools are so different, but many people will migrate, you know? And so I think it's going to be like what we saw in the nineties and two thousands where like a lot of businesses onboarded to the internet and they became digital businesses and they figured out how to sell online and they figured out how to do this stuff. And they started to close their physical stores or they close their, their call-in customer service departments and they figured out how to do it. I think the same is going to be here where there's going to be a lot of businesses that are going to figure out how to migrate and there's going to be a great migration and it'll take years and years, but companies will eventually move their backends over because even if they're not worried about censorship, it's just more robust. It's better and safer for you not to have one point of failure, not to have, you know, something goes wrong with my Amazon web services, now my website's down. It's just better infrastructure. So longer term, that, that's how it's going to go. And the other thing is, is that if you think about it from like a cost perspective, so right now I go and I pay somebody for server space and there's, you know, a few big companies that do it and they have these giant server farms. What if it was a marketplace where I could pay anyone in the world who happens to have extra space? Cost is probably going to go down, right? Server space is going to be cheaper. The infrastructure is going to be more robust. So like, of course, the internet is eventually going to move towards decentralized architecture. You know, that's going to be a, a, a long migration for sure yeah and it does seem like it's the next logical step in uh in, in you know the kind of progression of the internet like you said you know a lot of businesses closed up shop for for you know the retail locations they went you know exclusively on the internet and then now 
now the the worry is no longer about you know your your physical location. It's more about you know am I going to get censored? Uh, am, am I going for whatever reason? You just don't know uh, because you know we're seeing that on a grand scale. Um, like we mentioned, I mean, especially now. So I do feel like decentralized uh, you know web applications are definitely the next step, and I feel like it's going to be a gradual progression where people just think that it's, it's just the most logical thing to do. So I agree with that. Another question. So, so the address is kind of like a wallet address, right? For your domain name, but the actual uh, name of the domain is your address. Could you kind of explain that better than I did? <laughs> yeah. So, and these two concepts do merge together. So it's not super easy. Uh, so you've got your domain name. So I've got brad.crypto. Uh, brad.crypto is an NFT on the Ethereum blockchain. It's stored inside of my wallet. And because it's stored inside of my wallet, it, it itself is not an address, but it has an address that it's stored in. So there's, you know, it's stored inside of a wallet. That wallet has an address. That's one thing. A completely separate thing is that you can use the domain as your payment gateway, meaning that I can attach any Ethereum address that I want to inside of any wallet that I control. I can attach any Bitcoin address, any Litecoin address, all to this one domain. And now you can go into a wallet and type in brad.crypto and pay me. All that's happening there is the wallet sees brad.crypto, goes and reads the blockchain and finds my associated address. So it's really just a, just a, like a, a, routing, a, a routing system. Like forwarding. Yeah, it's just a pointer. And it's the same way that domain names work, uh, traditional domain names work with IP addresses. And it's the same way blockchain domains work with storage networks. So if you were to go and look up on the blockchain with brad.crypto, you would see my Bitcoin address, my Ethereum address. You would also see my IPFS hash. And they're all just, they're all just attached to my domain name. And so depending on which application you type brad.crypto in, it'll go and find a specific piece of information that you're looking for. So if I'm in a wallet, it's going to find my crypto address. If I'm in a browser, it's going to find my website. It, it seems really cool that you could just use your domain name to receive payments directly to that domain name. It just seems so much more logical, um, especially if you're trying to like give somebody your address and you're like, okay, it's a one HBC, <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. But yeah, giving your domain name seems a lot more reasonable. And we have dozens. That's the other problem. It's like, it's not just that each address is 20 or 40 characters, it's that you might have 20 of them. And... And, and you're going to have to navigate all these different addresses, uh, all these different currencies. All of that stuff can essentially be abstracted. And I think that once we get to that point, that's when people are going to start using crypto for payments a lot more. Because like, that's the experience that we currently have with money. Like, If I want to send you, you know, money on Venmo, I say, you know, what, what's your username? And then I type that in. I don't go and get your account number and your routing number. Now, it's been possible for me to send you money through an account number and a routing number for years, right? No one did that. It wasn't until Venmo that people started doing it all the time. So that that tells you the power of the username. I mean, PayPal was another one and PayPal used email address, same idea. So you know, it, it takes that level of ease in order for people to to adopt. I agree. And speaking of ease, you know, how easy is it for, uh, we'll, we'll call them Bob, you know, the average person to go on unstoppabledomains.com um, and, and just check out you know, how, how could I make a, a decentralized uh, website and, and domain? Like how easy is that process? We've tried to make it super easy and we have the benefit of, you know, 20 years worth of domain and website tools that have existed in the traditional world. So if you've used GoDaddy, it should be about as easy as that. So you go to unstoppabledomains.com, there's a giant search bar, you uh, type in a domain you want, find it, you check out. When you check out, you can pay with credit card or crypto or PayPal, whatever, super easy. 
Once you have the domain, there's a manage section, just like you would see inside of a registrar like GoDaddy. And you just have fields, copy and paste your crypto addresses, click save, sign a message with your private key, you're done. If you want to launch a website, there's a little uh, like website builder tools, you know, so it's kind of like a, you know, WYSIWYG editor where you can drop in images and text and it's, it's all, this stuff is all, what we've built is all just like really early, simple demo tools, but it's enough to build a basic profile page, whatever. You click launch on IPFS, you sign a message again, you're done. It's, it does not require a technical user. It does not require a crypto user in order to do all this. Now there's going to be some concepts like I'm storing a domain inside of my wallet that is useful if you understand crypto to feel comfortable with that. Otherwise, you know, you may have some questions. But beyond that, it's uh, at this point, I think I can say confidently, it really is about as easy as launching a website in the traditional world or easier. And there's none of those weird delays. You launch a regular website in the traditional world, you buy a domain, it takes 60 days before they allow you to update the records. Blockchain doesn't have any of that stuff. You can launch a website, you can do everything in less than five minutes. You want to transfer that domain, you just send it to anybody in the world that you want. It's there in a minute. Right. Love it. That's awesome. Wow, that's that's, that's pretty awesome. So I guess the, the next question I would have for you is like, what are you guys uh, specifically working on? Or is there anything you know special that you guys want to highlight? And then uh, where can they find more information, obviously? And then where can they find your social media? Yeah, so right now we are really focused on top website launches. So I would look out for cool crypto brands launching websites. I think there's a big opportunity for people in crypto in general to launch websites right now. Whenever it's early, you have the ability to grab traffic because there's no competition yet. So same thing with the early web where like you could build a pretty crappy .com website in the mid to late 90s and you could get some traffic. And I think we're kind of in that phase where there's a lot of opportunity now for people who are who want to get eyeballs, want to sell a product, uh, want to market an existing product, whatever. So I would look out for top website launches. And it's a really big focus of ours right now. Uh, if you want to find find out more about us, though, I would check out our Twitter at Unstoppable Web. There's, uh, we have most of our updates there. Uh, our Telegram community is also super act active at Unstoppable Domains. And there's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week conversation in there. There's also a hacker channel if you want to go and join that and start work on building some websites. So there's there's a there's a bunch of opportunities. Awesome. And what about your personal social media? Do you have any? I've got a uh, LinkedIn. That's pro that's pretty much all I actually use. Yeah, yeah. Keep it simple. I got way too much social media these days. <laughs> way too many I, I gotta keep track of them all so awesome well i mean folks you heard it decentralized web applications unstoppable domains i mean they're doing some really cool stuff um really appreciate you coming on bradley it's been an awesome conversation and i uh, hope you guys can look more into decentralized web applications yeah thanks so much we'll, we'll make sure and uh, get this podcast up on a website too oh awesome that'd be great thanks man well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps us up for this episode of the Modern Markets Podcast. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast with your host, Titan. Don't forget to reach out to us. Some of the best ideas we get are from our listeners. And sign up for our free newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. We tackle some of the hardest hitting stories in banking, fintech, and decentralized payment systems.